Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. I ran into something the other day that has come up every once in a while, and I realized that even though we have these phones, these smartphones that take great pictures, there are things that people don't know about that have been there since the very beginning. I point out something on someone's phone, and they look at me like I just made some sort of voodoo magic, (laughs) amazing discovery. And it's like, well, that's actually been in there since the very beginning. And so I thought, why don't we just do an episode that just talks about some of the shortcuts on shooting with your iPhone, really direct and simple, because I'm sure there's going to be something in here today that people listening have not heard of or forgot about or just don't use because they don't know that it's it's convenient. Including me, because I rarely use my iPhone for photos. I use my iPhone for photos when I need to capture something quickly, but not with the intention of creativity. Mm, so yeah. I use it really in a limited way. But you're talking about features that people don't know. You look at, I don't know, Microsoft Word, and people know how to create a new file and save it in print. But about all the other things, it's like everything in technology. There is a, a sort of a surface level stuff of the iceberg that people know. And then there's all the rest. And if there wasn't, you and I wouldn't have jobs. That's entirely true, yes. (laughs) Well, and I think some of this, and we'll get into this in a little bit, some of this is also because with a phone interface especially, you don't have a whole lot of room. And so there are some things that are either cleverly exposed or just terrible interface-wise that you may not even know is there or you tap something accidentally and these icons pop up. And then you don't know how to get rid of them. And so part of what we're here to do is help people understand. And again, because these are things, these are cameras that people are using all the time, there's got to be something in here that's going to be useful for people. What cameras that some people are using all the time? I'm sorry. Cameras that some people (laughs) are using all the time that most people are using all the time. Uh, I mean, I'm just saying it's, you know, it's just not the camera I use a lot. I, I use my iPhone once a month to take photos of the electric meter so I can send readings into my electric company. There you go. Um, I went out this morning, was walking around the garden. I said, oh, that looks interesting. Let me take a photo of that just to capture it, not for anything serious. I get photos right. of the cats. I get photos of, you know, funny insects and things, but that's about it. Yeah. Well, and that's totally good. And I think a lot of people do that. I know I take just random snapshots. And oftentimes, even when I'm out shooting, let's say I'm on a workshop or it's it's a weekend and I'm away and I'm traveling and I'm shooting mostly with my Fuji camera, I will also take pictures with my phone, not necessarily to see how it compares or think that maybe the phone version is going to get another uh, better quality version of the image, but what the phone will let me do is save the GPS information and so that I can then copy that to my other photos. And it's just also a great way to be able to take quick photos. And I think that's really the key because sometimes you want to line up a shot and you want to be really deliberate about it. And sometimes something happens or there's something that catches your eye, maybe 
you know, you're walking through the street and the, the shadows are hitting really nicely. And you know that this would make a great black and white photo. And either you don't have your other camera or it's in a bag or you just don't really want to be bothered or maybe that moment is going to be fleeting and go away too quickly. You pull out your phone, you take a picture, and you can do it super quickly, super easily, and then move on. Another thing I want to point out is that some people aren't entirely satisfied with the photographs they get with their phones. And mm -hmm. we'll link to your article that was published on Popular Photography on March 24th, Outsmart Your iPhone Camera's Overzealous AI. And it's a really good example of... I mean, Apple shows all these great photos taken with the iPhone. Every time there's a review of a new camera, you see all these great photos because they dump all the crappy ones. When I got the iPhone 13, I remembered I took a bunch of photos out in the fields. I was trying to wide angle the telephoto. Some of them were really nice and some of them were just horrible. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to know what to do if your photos aren't good. So for example, you're talking about Pro Raw or using a different camera app like Halide. Um, in this episode, we're going to talk just about the main iPhone camera app, but um, we'll we'll send people to this article to learn that they could perhaps have better. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good idea. Also, even though you and I both write about this stuff and I have used things like Halide and there, there are great reasons to use third-party apps. Let's say you want to shoot in just plain old raw. You don't want any of Apple's computational photography mixed in. I'm still 95% of the time, if I'm taking pictures with my phone, I'll use the built-in camera app just because it is so convenient. Exactly. And so let's talk about convenience. And, you know, I a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about accessing the camera quickly. And I was saying, oh, really? And uh -huh. I know that I've done this accidentally, but the way I access the camera is I tap the screen to wake it up, then I press and hold the camera button on the bottom right. But there's a better way. There are a couple of better ways. What? So the way there's more than just one. There's more than just one. Okay. Well, it depends on how how convenient you, you want to get. So for me, I actually forget about that little camera button in the lower right because what I do instead is when I bring up the phone. And even if it's in its locked screen, if you swipe from right to left, so edge to edge, that will bring up the camera, even if your phone is locked. It's incredibly convenient. Another thing you can do is obviously you can tap the icon itself to launch the camera. And when you are in the camera, you have all your different modes. You've got your selfie mode. You've got your uh, – portrait mode. If you know what you want right away on the app screen, you can touch and hold the camera app icon and that will give you some shortcuts. You can take selfie, record video, take portrait, take portrait selfie. So if you know that you need to record video immediately uh, or it's super important that you take a portrait selfie right now, you can tap that and it just goes right into that mode and you don't have to open the app, switch the mode, switch the camera, and all of that. It's worth noting that some third-party apps do this. I have Howide on my phone, and if I mm -hmm. tap and hold, it says open in auto mode, open in manual mode, take selfie, and open in depth mode. So yes, that is a convenient way of accessing camera features. It's too bad you can't do that from the lock screen, but I guess you're already pressing to access the camera at that point, and it can't do another... I guess it could delay... Well. 
you can't do it. It's a shame. It would be practical if it was possible. Also from the lock screen, if you swipe from left to right, that will bring up your widgets. And you can set a widget to open a camera app. So I have mine set with the possibility to open Halide or open the Lightroom app in its camera mode. So if I'm in a situation where I know that I want to use a third-party app, I don't want to just use the built-in camera app, but I don't want to have to go and navigate my home screens to find those. I can just wake up my phone, swipe left to right, and then I have a couple of widgets just sitting there, uh, one for Halide and one for Lightroom. And I'll put a screenshot of this in the show notes, by the way. So that's really practical if you do want to use different apps that you can pick the one you want from the small widget. Of course, you can also just put them on your home screen in an easy mm -hmm. location, maybe drop them all in a folder. A lot of widgeting going on here. A lot of widgeting going on. And again, this is one of those things where it's really your personal preference. Some people don't even know that the widgets are there. So it, you know, play around with it. It's nice to have a bunch of different options. Okay. What about different ways to actually take photos? Obviously, the big way to take a photo is to tap the nice big shutter button and that takes your picture. But there are a few gotchas in here. In the old days, and I swear I still have a little bit of this, this muscle memory, you used to be able to press and hold the shutter button and that would put it into burst mode and you could just fire off dozens and dozens of, of shots. It was great. I used to do that all the time, particularly if you're trying to take a portrait of someone. It makes more sense because if your one photo is when they're blinking, then you have a really terrible photo. Totally. If you have kids and kids that are always moving, it's, yep. it's invaluable. And then at some point, I think because people – were possibly accidentally holding the button down when they meant to just tap it once and they ended up with a whole bunch of shots and got confused. They changed this behavior. So now if you press and hold the shutter button, it records a little mini video, which is fine. I never use it. I sometimes will end up with a video because I, like I said, my muscle memory is thinking that I need to take a burst mode. And so what you can do instead, there is a setting in settings camera. So the, the settings app, then you go to the camera settings that says use volume up for burst. And that allows you to press the volume up button, the actual physical button, and that will shoot in burst mode. But you can also just press either of the volume buttons once to take a picture. So and in normal usage, any volume button takes a picture, but with this setting, you can make that the up volume button makes burst mode. Now, this I find really confusing. Um, one of the reasons why is I find that when I press one of the volume buttons, it's kind of skews the iPhone, and that mm -hmm. the shutter button makes more sense the way I hold it that I can just tap it with my thumb. So I don't really like using the volume buttons. Wasn't Isn't the volume button a feature that – a lot of people wanted, but Apple only added after years. I think if I'm remembering correctly, the app Camera Plus uh, with the camera with the a plus, plus sign, sign yeah. PLUS, um, they implemented this as kind of a hack to use the, the volume button. And people were like, this is great. And Apple said, this is great. We're going to do that too. So it, it, it didn't originate with Apple. Right. Um, 
I find actually having the volume buttons as physical buttons is nice sometimes. Uh, a, because you have that that tactile sense of I'm pushing a button that is roughly on top of or depending on how you're holding it on the bottom of, of your, your camera. But also, particularly if I am taking a selfie, I was expecting you to just burst out laughing there for a second. But Boy, I know you take <laughs> selfies. <laughs> so I have the advantage of being fairly tall and I have long arms. And so like if I'm taking a selfie of a group of people like my family – I'm usually just holding the camera out with one arm, but to balance that and try to use my thumb to actually touch the screen is is really awkward. I find that really easy. I'm just holding my iPhone between my first and fourth fingers of my right hand, and then I can get to the button because there's no pressure. You just tap it to get the photo. So what I will do is hold it so that I'm actually obscuring half the screen with my hand, but I'm still being able to see the image portion. Right. So you're holding it with your left thumb on the volume buttons and a few fingers on the top. Oh, no, you're doing it the other way. Ah, I see. Now, I so I would think holding it on the other side like this, it's too bad we can't show people. I would think holding it on the <laughs> other side because then the thumb's right on the volume button. But you're doing it in a different way and you've got to go all the way across to the volume up button. Now, the problem okay. if you hold it on the other side is your finger's going to go over the, the camera lens. Right, right. I was actually going to point that out. Like <laughs> I can tell that you don't take selfies because what you just showed me was obscuring the camera lens. Exactly. So, yeah. But so that's why it's my way is the better way, holding it between the first and fourth finger and then just tap the thumb. Uh, I believe that you believe that, yes. Okay. <laughs> no, I do find that you have to put a lot of pressure on the volume button and that's going to move the camera. It's not a soft shutter yeah. like on a real camera. It, there's, there's a lot of pressure necessary intentionally so when it's in your pocket, it doesn't go off, right? It doesn't yeah. change the volume. I, yeah. I just want to comment on why I think Apple changed burst mode because people were accidentally shooting lots of photos in burst mode and then they found that their paltry five gigabytes of iCloud storage was full and they had to call Apple support to find out why because in the Photos app, you don't really see the burst mode photos until you tap on them, correct? Correct. It has like a little icon that indicates right. that it's a burst mode, but it's just picking one of those. So, right. Yeah, it, it's so you confusing. have to tap to see how many there are. There could be hundreds behind it and you wouldn't know. So I'm guessing that this is a support issue. Yeah, it very well could be. Yeah. And I, I also think it's it's that, that weird let's push everybody to making videos uh, type of thing where, of course, what you want to do is make a video selfie of yourself and – Maybe a lot of people do. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So what about macro mode? We'll link in the show notes to the episode we did talking about the macro, the faux macro in the iPhone 13. So the original implementation was if you move close to something, the camera suspects that you might be trying to take a macro photo and therefore it automatically switches to the ultra wide angle lens, which has a really close focusing distance. The problem was it's a very jarring transition between the lenses. It's not like you are smoothly looking at a new lens. It's not like you're zooming in. It's you're switching cameras and the parallax is different because the three cameras are in that sort of triangular mode there. So Apple got a lot of complaints about this. And so what they did was they added an indicator. They didn't actually change the behavior. They changed the interface that alerts the behavior. And so – if you go into settings, 
So if you go to settings, camera, macro control, you can set that so that when the camera goes into macro mode, there's a little macro button, a little yellow macro uh, flower-shaped button that appears that tells you, ah, okay, now I'm, I'm deliberately in macro mode. And what you can do is you can tap that button to take it out of macro mode because maybe you are just trying to take a picture of something close up, but you want to use just the wide camera, the, the regular camera, instead of the ultra wide in, in that close focusing mode. And when that button appears, it kind of distracts you from that shifting of the image from wide to totally. ultra wide. So you exactly. don't really notice it as much. Tricky. Well, it looks deliberate rather than looking like a mistake. Exactly, because it did look like a mistake early on. Okay, yeah. now you've got something in our notes about preserving settings. And this is a feature I think has been in there since the very beginning. I just leave it the way it is. So the idea is that if you want to always have the same settings, you can go into um, settings camera, preserve settings, and there are a bunch of settings that you can set to preserve each time. So if you always want to shoot with exposure adjustment, creative controls, camera mode, you do this. And that means that when you've quit the camera app or done something else and you come back, it will retain the settings. Otherwise, it will go back to the default each time, which mm -hmm. for most people, the default is fine. But you might want to do this if you're in a specific setting where you want to be able to not tap six times in the camera app. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly it. I would find this really useful if I was deliberately shooting uh, some video because at some point you're going to shoot some video and then maybe you're going to you know, reposition people or you're going to move to a different location and your phone's going to go to sleep. And then when you open the camera app again, you have to go back and switch to the video mode and all of that. And so this just lets you go back to whatever mode you were in when you close the camera app or when the when the phone turned off. Uh, it's just a, a minor convenience issue that if you need it, it becomes very convenient except, for most people. Except, except the bottom-most setting that's really important is if you don't want these annoying live photos, tap this so when you've turned off live photo in the camera app, it doesn't come back on. Yes. I hate live photos. I like live photos only when I want to to do some sort of smoothing, like right. waterfalls. Yeah, that's a great effect. Yeah, um, but yeah, having it just come on all the time. Uh, I I actually solved that by shooting mostly in raw because you yes. can't have pro raw on at the same time as live photos. Right. So you have to be able to switch between those. But yeah, that's a very good point. So how do you turn on pro raw in the camera app? In the upper right-hand corner, I see two icons. One says raw, and that's turned on for me. And when I tap that to turn it off, I can also turn on the live mode, which is the icon that's right next to it. And if I turn raw back on, it automatically turns live photos off. Okay. Um, now let's talk about this annoying interface, which isn't the next item in our list, but there's an annoying interface to access some other features in the camera app. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know who designed it, but it's wrong. Sorry, it is just plain wrong. It's, it's, it's awful. Uh, so the things that are wrong with it, it's hidden. If you're looking at your camera app, at the very top, what I see here are there's a, an icon for the flash control. So you can set the flash to be on or auto or off. 
There's a night mode button that will activate when you're in a really dark situation. I don't have a night mode button. Is that because I'm not in a dark situation? It could be. It could be. Okay. And then you have this sort of – what would it be? Like like a carrot. A carrot. Uh, An up-pointing up, arrow. Up-pointing arrow. Yeah. And first of all, why is it pointing up? Who knows? But <laughs> when you tap it, that reveals other settings. So there's actually – but where? I just tapped it and I don't see the other settings. Ah, the settings are down below the image area. So above the shutter, the, like a row of of icons appears. Maybe so, the carrot. So the row that says video photo portrait changes to different buttons. See, I would expect a carrot to flip something right under the carrot. I would also. Maybe, maybe – because when you tap the carrot, then it becomes a down-facing carrot. So it's pointing you down to look down at that row. Mm, no. Yeah, I'm not convinced. No, it's still terrible. But the things that are there are actually quite useful. So, for example, that is where you will actually find the flash control rather than just having the shortcut at the top. But that's where you can also set your aspect ratio. You can set exposure compensation, uh, timer set up a self-timer. You can set which of the the presets you want to work with. So that's where, let's say you just want to shoot in monochrome and you want to see what's in monochrome. That's where you would get that. And then I also have a raw button down here too that says raw on, raw off. Where's that? I don't have that. Oh, that's interesting. So on the iPhone 13 normal, you get the five buttons and you Uh can swipe to the left to get the six button, which shows up on the 13 clown shoe size. Interesting. That's really hidden. I can see just barely the seventh icon off to the right, but it's it's dark gray on black. And so at casual look, I can't see that, oh, I can swipe left to see more options. Yeah. It's so terrible. It's it so terrible. But if you want to get to some of those things, that's where you would do it. Okay. So anyone who's listening and wants to use the iPhone, you should really spend about 15 minutes now – Tap the carrot, look at all the settings, remember what's available, remember where they are, because you have features that you don't know about. Because that carrot is like, who who thinks that that carrot does anything? I don't know. With the it's... way these buttons work in the camera app is so bad. You know, if you tap the live photo thing, yes, the word lives comes on for a second and the the slash across the live goes away. But if you're not looking, you don't see the word live come on. There's very little difference between the buttons in the enabled and disabled displays. Yeah. Yeah. What a terrible app. What a terrible app. No wonder you don't use it. Millions of these, well, tens of millions of these, and people use this for photos. And that's why no one knows about these features because it's all so incredibly well hidden. You know, I also think that some of this is because – uh, nearly all the people using the camera are not going to care about any of these or they're not going to use any of these. They take their camera, they pinch to zoom and take a quick shot and then that's all they do. And, you know, by the way, uh, <laughs> this isn't in our outline, but uh, you can, you can zoom, zoom in yeah. Yeah. By, by pinching to zoom yeah. and – it mostly works well. I just want to caution everybody that if you're not using the buttons, like in my case, I have 0.5, 1X, and 3 because it's the iPhone 13 Pro. Yeah. When you do that, then suddenly you're shooting with digital zoom instead of optical zoom. Right. 
maybe it doesn't make a huge difference on the iPhone as it would say if you were doing some sort of optical zoom in a like a super zoom camera or something. Well, with only 12 megapixels, I'd say it makes a lot of difference on the iPhone. That's a good point. Yeah. That's something to look for. Another problem is that the cameras being so different from model to model, um, you've got the iPhone SE 2 that has a single camera. You've got the regular iPhone 13 that has a dual camera. You've got the Mm -hmm. 13 Pro that has three cameras. So if you have multiple devices, you go from one to the other and you're confused why you don't have these options. And then you've got an iPad, which is different, of course. I guess it makes sense how many people are, have multiple phones, but when you're migrating from right. from one to the next. Yeah. Okay, so the, the last thing we have on our list here is when switching modes in the camera app, you can tap the mode name to jump right to it. So I'm looking at the modes at the bottom. Modes are things like photo, video, portrait, etc. I see three clearly and then two with the words cut off. So while I can tap from photo to pano, if I tap cinematic, I see there's more on the left. There's slow-mo and time-lapse. So it doesn't really get me anywhere. I I will generally just uh, tap and slide one way or another because that's what it is. It's a row of, of words that slides left and right as you swipe. Yeah, that works. I prefer to just tap the word. For example, let's say I want to go to slow-mo mode. Well, if I slide, it's only going to slide one at a time. So that means but I'm But do you see slow-mo swiping. on your iPhone 13 clown shoe model? I actually do not have the clown shoe model. Oh, I, I you have did. this. See, no, I, no, no, I, no. See, I see video photo portrait. Then on the left, I see Matic. And on the right, I see Pa. So I don't see slow-mo. I don't see it either. So you have to know that it's there, which right. is the other problem. But you can't tap on it if you can't see it. Or do you tap to the left of the phone to get it to... No, I, I tap cinematic and then I see the slow-mo and then I tap right. slow-mo. Okay. So that's two taps versus three right. swipes. So you're saying instead of swiping, you should tap. And that makes sense because when you swipe, you may swipe not far enough or too far and be in the wrong mm-hmm. mode and ruin the moment. So yes. Or something that I've done before is I've meant to swipe there and I've actually, uh, you know, my finger's been a little bit too high and I then switch cameras on the zoom buttons, yes. On the zoom buttons, yeah. So, you know, there's there's just not a lot of room to work here. I want to bring up one last thing that I think inspired this because I did this for a couple of people and they looked at me like I had just revealed some camera magic. And th- this is a feature that's been there since the very, very beginning. So you probably know that As you're looking at something, you can tap on the screen and tap on the thing that you want to focus on. And what that also does is sets the exposure. So if you have like a dark area and a light area in your frame and you want more exposure in the dark area, you just tap once and it automatically meters for that area. What you may not know is if you touch and hold that spot, it will lock the focus and it will lock the exposure. So then you can recompose and still keep that focus or keep that exposure without having the phone try to uh, figure out what the subject is and, and change its focus automatically. And I find that that to be really useful. That's complicated. <laughs> it's not complicated because it's just a press and hold, but there's nothing, absolutely nothing that would indicate that that is possible unless you 
know it or accidentally pressed and held and then couldn't figure out why it wouldn't focus anymore. Okay, so here's another thing that most people don't know. If you tap to set the focus in the metering point, you'll see a little sun to the right of the square. When you do that, if you drag on the sun up and down, it changes it, but it moves much more slowly than your thumb or your finger. So if you just yeah. drag a little, you might not even notice it moving. You have to go all the way down to the bottom or all the way up to the top of the iPhone to make big changes. So it kind of makes sense that it's like a flywheel that's very slow. You don't want to make sudden exposure changes. It's really for fine-tuning. Yeah, definitely. And, and especially just for, for quick fine-tuning, if it looks a little bit too bright, you can just drag that down to, to drop your exposure. Again, without having to realize that you need to tap the carrot, go to your exposure compensation, <laughs> drag the slider – uh, you know, and and by this I've died of old age because yes. it's so. <laughs> it's well, and in addition, you know, we were talking about the location of the carrot when when it was in portrait mode. But if you put it in landscape mode, the carrot's on the left, and things come to the right. And while they do display um, correctly horizontally, so the four three is readable, it's in mm -hmm. a different location. In some ways, it's practical because if you're right-handed, it's under your right thumb. But it's still confusing because it's different again. Yeah. I don't want to minimize the difficulty of something like this because you're trying to put so much into, into a small space that will be recognizable and usable for everybody, like for literally millions and millions of people. And yet it just seems like they could do better. It seems like they could have a menu. A menu, a yeah. A single menu that would pop up that would give you access to the controls. And yes, let it obscure your frame a little bit because you're doing this just to set. You, you're either not yet composing your photo or you already have. So a yeah. menu instead of all these buttons that you have to move around might, be, might make more sense. I'll just add one more thing. We're looking at this in English. So the words for photo portrait um, cinematic and everything, you know, take up the length that they take. But I imagine in German, they're twice as long as is everything in German. <laughs> um, right. And in other languages, they're going to be longer as well. So there are countries where it's going to be more complicated because they'll see less. There might be somewhere shorter. Um, I would say Chinese, Japanese might just be two yeah. characters. So there might be more on the line. But it's true that they have to fit this in for every culture. And it's not easy. So Spend 15 minutes with your iPhone and go over these things and you will thank Jeff for this. You won't thank me because I don't use my iPhone a lot. This was <laughs> Jeff's idea. He made the show notes and everything. So thank you, Jeff. Yes, but you also brought up a whole lot of really good things. So, Well, I, you, you don't need to congratulate me. This is your episode, Jeff. I, I will grant <laughs> this to you. Okay, Jeff, time for our snapshots. What have you got? I have a super cool hard drive enclosure. Oh, Awesome. <laughs> I was kind of hoping you would say something like that. <laughs> I think hard drive enclosures are the coolest. You know what? They seem really boring and yet they can be so useful. In this case, this is a dual RAID enclosure kit. This is from the company OWC. It's the OWC Zero Gigabyte Mercury Elite Pro Dual RAID USB 3.1. And what Wait, that means zero is – gigabyte? Zero gigabyte, which means basically I'm just getting the enclosure. Oh, okay. There are no hard drives in it. I thought it was designed for a zero gigabyte hard drive. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? We're not recording on <laughs> April 1st, by the way. <laughs> exactly. So I have a NAS device, a Synology NAS, Network Attached Storage, in my house. And I've reached that point where I needed to replace two of the drives because I just needed more storage. But 
I also want to be able to back up the NAS and I don't necessarily want to buy another NAS unit to do that. There's all sorts of different options. And so what I'm doing is I've ordered this enclosure and I will take two of my four terabyte drives that I pulled out of the NAS that I replaced with larger capacity ones. And I will put these two into this enclosure and the enclosure will see that as one volume and use this as my local backup for my NAS. So I have less than eight terabytes of total storage that I'm using, and this will be a good way to have another backup because we want lots of backups without having to spend a whole lot more money on more drives and, and all of that. It's $99.00. So I'm just going to repurpose two of those NAS hard drives and use that for backup. And what are you going to do to back up the backup? I'm going to back up the backup. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have uh, a, a six terabyte just standalone uh, internal drive that is my second backup. And then that will go to a safe deposit box that I have at my bank. And that's my, that's my offsite backup for my NAS. And you also use online backups, right? Like I, do, yeah. I do, yeah. I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you and I, we're, we're on the same page with backups here. Never enough backups. All right, Kirk, what have you got this week? I've got a book and it's got some really wonderful photos. I think you're going to like it. Oh. Um, I'm showing you some of the photos here. Oh, those are beautiful. It, the book is called Cocktail Codex. Now, I know you appreciate cocktails. Oh. Um, during lockdown, my partner and I got a wine subscription. We did that for about a year. We get a case of wine every month. And then the second year, I started getting into cocktails, which I had never really paid attention to. Yeah. And there's websites and there's recipe sites. And I started learning and we started um, adding all sorts of liqueurs and bitters and everything to our booze cabinet. And then I found this book called Cocktail Codex. And what it does is it explains that there are only six cocktails in the world. Okay. It's very simple. The old fashioned, the martini, the daiquiri, the sidecar, the whiskey highball, and the flip. But what it does is it explains all the variants on each of these six that make all the different cocktails. So essentially, I'm going to take the sidecar, which, as you know, is three parts brandy, two parts triple sec, one part lemon juice. You make a margarita with, well, generally two parts tequila, one part triple sec, and one part lime juice. So it's the spirits, it's the liqueur, and it's the lemon or lime juice. And there, these are templates for all the different cocktails, and it shows how you can make different things, but it also teaches you to use what you have to try different things. And that's what I find really fascinating. Yeah. So instead of blindly following recipes on websites, this book has said to me, well, what if we try this, but tweak it a little bit? Because you're allowed to do that. You don't have to follow the recipe perfectly. <laughs> so a little bit of time with this, just reading through the basic stuff, and then you start to learn about relationships between flavors um, the mouthfeel you get from a liqueur versus a simple syrup, the kinds of garnishes you can use. Um, fascinating book if you're into cocktails. So it's called Cocktail Codex. Six cocktails in the world. That's it. And and based on what you just showed me, it looks like the photography in it is really nice too. The photography is very nice. If that's if you need that excuse to buy the book, um, <laughs> it is very attractive photography. It's a it's a business expense. That's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Good point. <laughs> All right. Okay. So everyone at home. Go check your iPhone camera and learn some stuff. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. 
You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.